Uh, That's what we're trying to do through this series, generate a culture of prayer uh, in you and in those around you. Uh, I want to share, start by sharing a story of uh, prayer from Acts chapter 12, actually. Uh, The Apostle Paul has been preaching the gospel a bit like, uh, sorry, Peter had, but uh, a bit like Apostle Paul, Helen was saying before, he just couldn't help himself telling people about Jesus. But um, the the leaders didn't want him to do this, so they uh, arrested him and they put him in jail. And uh, picture him, he's, he's chained up. Uh, he's in uh, the innermost kind of part of this prison cell, like the high security area. He's surrounded by soldiers. He's fast asleep. And then an angel comes and rescues him. He brings him out. Despite all those obstacles that the author is at pains to show us, in chains, fast asleep, surrounded by shol- soldiers uh, and shoulders, uh, high security, and, uh, and he gets led out of this uh, prison. And he thinks it's a dream. Uh, Verse 12 picks it up. As soon as he realized it wasn't a dream, he went to the house of Mary where many had assembled and were praying. It's a prayer meeting. What do you think they're praying for? They're praying for Peter to get out of jail. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, but because of her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. You're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. How many of us are like the people in the prayer meeting where we pray, but we don't really believe that God will answer our prayers. I mean, we read about miracles and we hear testimonies of signs and wonders in answer to prayer, but we don't actually expect it to happen when we pray. I'm so encouraged by Kate's testimony. I mean, God would have been gracious enough to give us one of those stories, but we've heard four. It reminds me of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says... Devote yourselves to prayer. Here's the important bit. Being watchful. What's Kate doing when she asks? Has there been anything that's happening? Well, have you noticed any changes? That's what it means to be watchful. You're praying and you're expecting God to do something. Unlike the disciples in this story who were praying for Peter's release and then were like, Pray, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see what it is that you're doing. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying and that you would give us hearts to trust, to be watchful, to follow your leading. Well, we see this kind of prayer in our story today where Moses prays, verses 11 to 14 of Exodus 32. I hope you'll keep it in front of you for for that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Exodus 32, I think it was on page 69, where we see Moses pray and then it says, verse 14, the Lord relented or other translations say God changed his mind in response to Moses' prayer. Uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai. You know the story well. He's receiving uh, the Ten Commandments from the Lord when terrible things start to happen in the valley down below. They think Moses is taking too long. 
Uh, so they ask Aaron to uh, make some gods. And, and so being a bit of a people pleaser, Aaron gives them what the people asked for in verse 2. He says, take off the gold rings that are on your uh, ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold and cast an image of a calf. And, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, what's so amazing about this is, is all that God has done for them up to this point. Can I just take you through it briefly? God has rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He's parted the Red Sea so that they dry, go through on dry land. He's buried Pharaoh and his army in the bottom of the ocean. He's led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's provided miraculously manna for breakfast every morning for them to eat during the wilderness. He's provided quail for them to have for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And he's defeated their enemies, the Amalekites, who were going to destroy him. This is all that they, God has done for them up to this point and yet they have the audacity to say that this golden calf has done it all for them. He has the audacity to call the golden calf by God's holy name, Yahweh, the Lord, to attribute it to this golden calf that they've just made out of their own gold. Verse 6 says, so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now there's a very polite and uh, inscrutable word, revelry. This was a drunken orgy in the name of a worship service. This is what they were doing. This is gross immorality in the face of everything that God has done for them. In Exodus 19 and 20, God, like a marriage, has pledged himself to them and they have said, yes, we will obey the Ten Commandments. And so Tim Chester says it's as if a husband has found his wife in bed with another man while they're still on their honeymoon. I mean, this is right on the heels of their marriage ceremony. This is what they're doing. It's a deliberate provocation and invitation for God's wrath upon them. And so God is angered. Verse 9, the Lord says, I've seen these people. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and so that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So God's going to wipe them out and start all over again with Moses. Does that sound familiar like the flood when the inclination, every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time and so God sent a flood and then he began again with Noah? Or like the Tower of Babel when the people conspired to build a tower to heaven to reach the heavens and defy God and so uh, God decided to start again after all that rebellion with Abraham? Well, now he's going to do it with Moses. I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start again with humanity 2.0, Moses. So the Israelites have been caught red-handed. Pardon the metaphor, they've been caught with their pants down, literally. 
They're up the creek without a paddle, without a hope and without a prayer. They're in real hot water. And maybe that's where some of you find yourself this morning, in real hot water. Maybe it's because you've landed yourself in hot water because of your own sinfulness, maybe even sexual sin like we see here, idolatry. Or maybe you're in hot water and in dire straits because of someone else's sin against you. Or maybe it's just because you live in a world of sin that's been broken and marred by sin and you find yourself without a hope and without a prayer. That's where the Israelites are. And the question is, how do you pray when you haven't got a prayer? That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at Moses' prayer in Exodus 32, 11-14. We're calling it the power of persuasive prayer because Moses has been able to persuade God to change his mind and to preserve the people, the Israelites. And so we're going to ask, how was he able to do that? How was he able to persuade God so effectively? Look at his prayer with me in verse 11. Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said... Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt? Can you see what he's doing here? Moses is saying, these are your people, Lord. Look at back in verse 17. God says to Moses, Moses, these are your people. They're not mine. I'm done with them. Can you see that in verse 7? These are your people, Moses. And Moses in verse 11 is like, no, Lord, these are your people. They're not mine. They're yours. So he's appealing to God on the basis of his relationship with his people that he has covenantally pledged and promised himself to be with them and to be their God and they to be his people. And so the first thing that I want you to notice this morning from verse 11 is that if you want to pray persuasively, ask God to remember his people. That's what Moses is doing here. These are his treasured possessions. You see, God paid a high price for our redemption. God paid a high price to set us free from slavery and sin and death. God paid a high price to adopt us, to make us his beloved children and his treasured possession. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God paid a high price to make us his beloved children. And it wasn't from any merit of our own. It's because of God's love. He set his love upon us and made us his own. And so that's what makes prayer persuasive. We're his people. These are your people, Lord. We've got a photo up on the screen. You might recognize it. This is a photo of President John F. Kennedy, the most powerful person in the world at the time. He's sitting at his desk in the Oval Office where the most powerful person in the world makes the most important decisions about uh, the progress and future of the world. And at his feet, having a little play, is his little boy, John. Brothers and sisters, the father of the universe who flung the Andromeda galaxy, who flung out the Milky Way, who holds the whole world in his hand, 
has adopted us and made us his children, his people. He's given us access as his beloved children to talk to him, to talk to him about how he's running the universe. This is what he's done. Can you breathe that in? The Lord Jesus is crystal clear on this. John chapter 1, verse 14. To those who receive Christ and believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In week one, we were trying to say that it's, this is all or nothing. There's no in-between here. Either you've received Christ and you've believed in his name and this is who you are in Christ inheriting everything that the Lord Jesus is because you've given yourself to him, or Jesus is also crystal clear, if you haven't received Christ, if you haven't trusted in in his name, then in Luke 16 verse 8, he says, they're the children of this world. The Apostle Paul says, that calls them the sons of disobedience, those who haven't entrusted themselves to Christ, those who haven't believed in his name. Friends, there's no middle ground. It's all or nothing. There's no stages in this. But to those who have trusted in Christ, the Lord says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. It's interesting in verse 10 that God gives Moses a chance to actually interrupt his plans. Verse 10, God says to Moses, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against the Israelites and so that I may destroy them. Lord, if that's the plan, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Why do you share your plan with Moses? Why do you tell him about your plans? Because it's an invitation. God is inviting Moses into his plans, bringing Moses into his confidence. God can run the world on his own. He can do it all by himself, but he's elected not to. He's elected to do it through his servants, through his people, to share his rule and reign with us, to work through us. Which is why the Lord Jesus, in John chapter 15, verse 15, says, I no longer, he says it to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. If you want your prayers to be persuasive, ask God to remember his people. And while you're at it, why don't you try to remember the privileged position that you have as one of his people, bringing you into his confidence, his treasured possession. Secondly, I want you to see, uh, if you want your prayers to be persuasive, ask God to remember his praise. Have a look at verse 12, Moses prays to God. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out? To kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, you've got to realize that God made a really, 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 really ridiculously big name for himself 
by conquering the world superpower of the day, the Egyptians. He conquered them and he rescued his people out from the land of slavery through the Red Sea on dry land, burying the the superpower, the head of the superpower, Pharaoh, and his entire army at the bottom of the sea. God had made a really big name for himself. It was the talk of the town, it was the news of the century, and several thousand years later, we're still talking about it and they're making movies about it. This was a big deal. And so Moses is saying, Lord, if you destroy your people now, what are the people going to think? What are the Egyptians going to think? Your reputation is going to be destroyed. You see, the moment that God rescued his people out of Egypt, he staked his entire reputation on these people, for good or for ill. His reputation is tied up in theirs. And so if you want to pray persuasively, then remember God's praise. God is very concerned that people know what kind of God he is, gracious, good, glorious, and great. One day a pastor watched a young boy praying fervently in church, but when he approached the boy, the pastor was surprised to hear him saying, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. After the boy finished praying, the pastor spoke to him and said, Son, I was really pleased to hear you praying so fervently, but tell me, why did you keep saying Tokyo? The boy replied, well, you see, I just took a geography exam and I've been asking the Lord to make Tokyo the capital of France. (laughs) That is not persuasive prayer because it's not concerned with God's praise. In James chapter 4, verse 3, it says, when you ask... You do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Moses is praying for God's praise. How often do we pray petty and pathetic prayers that are just for ourselves and our kingdom? But the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 10, he says, Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. If you want your prayers to be persuasive and powerful, find out what pleases the Lord. That's what George Mueller did, who I mentioned last week. Powerful man of prayer and in contrast to our Tokyo boy. He was a 19th century British pastor At one point, he wanted to more than triple the size of his orphanage from 300 orphans to serving 1,000 orphans. And this meant not only building another house for 700 orphans, but obviously coming up with the means to support them, their food, their clothing, their education. I mean, it's an absolutely mammoth task. He wrote in his diary, the Lord's honour and glory is the main point with me in this whole matter. And just because this is the case, if he would be more glorified by not going forward with the expansion, I'd be perfectly happy to give up the whole thing right now. My honest purpose is to glorify God 
Therefore, I expect to be guided by him that God may be looked at, that God may be magnified, admired, trusted in, relied on at all times is my aim for this entire project. He was praying for God's praise. He was fully convinced that enlarging this, enlarging this orphanage would bring God greater glory and greater praise. So he asked God and God alone to provide for the orphanage. He didn't ask for a single cent from any human being and he only directed his asking to the Lord and the Lord provided every single cent for all of those orphans because he made his aim God's praise and God's glory. So when you pray, it's worth asking yourself, are you praying your kingdom come, your will be done? Or is it possible that you might be praying my kingdom come and my will be done for mine is the kingdom and mine is the power and mine is the glory. That kind of prayer is not powerful and that kind of prayer is not persuasive. But if you're praying for God's praise, that is a powerfully persuasive prayer. Andrew Murray once wrote, There's nothing that more effectively hinders God in answering our prayers as this, praying for our own pleasure or glory. Prayer to have power and prevail must ask for the glory of God and the only way to pray that way is to live to the glory of God. Ask God to remember his people. Ask God to remember his praise. And finally, ask God to remember his promise. Will you look with me at verses 13 and 14? Moses prays, Remember your servants, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land. I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. And in response, verse 14, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God literally changed his mind. And Moses changed the course of history through his prayers preserving the people, not starting all over again with Moses. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, when we come to pleading with God, there's nothing that so helps us as to be able to quote quote his promise to him and say, Lord, you promised. Nothing so persuasive. It's like the story of a dad called Mark who snuck into his boy's room to say goodnight. He and his wife had just returned from their Bible study group and it was quite late. Mark's young sons, Peter and Paul, had been in bed for at least an hour. But when Mark opened the door, he heard one of, them, one of his sons say, Dad, can I have some ice cream? Mark said, no, Peter, it's, it's late. It's way past your bedtime. But Dad, you promised, Peter replied. 
You see, Peter had asked for ice cream earlier in the day, but they didn't have any. So Mark had told him, I'll get you some later. I promise. Dinner came and went. They cleaned up the kitchen. The boys had picked up their toys. The babysitter had come. They'd gone to their Bible study and they'd forgotten. But Peter hadn't. He remembered Dad's promise. So even though it was after 10 o'clock, Mark hopped in the car, went to get a tub of ice cream at the supermarket, came home, and late at night, he enjoyed chocolate vanilla swirl with his son, Peter. You promised, Dad. And the Lord Jesus says to us this morning, if you parents, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Dear brothers and sisters this morning, can you see God's heart towards his children? How much greater it is than Mark in giving ice cream to his son. What joy it gives his heart to give good gifts to his children. So if you want to pray persuasively, pray God's promises to you. Some might say, well, that's going to limit my prayers. That's going to reduce what I can ask God for. No, it doesn't. On the contrary, if you pray according to God's promise, it will expand your prayers. Can you remember God's promise to Abraham? Abraham, go outside. Look at the stars. Count them if you can. Descendants. So shall your future be. So shall your inheritance be. Take it in. A little girl approached her father and said, Dad, I want a dollar. The father took out his dollar and he offered her a clean, crisp $5 bill. The the little girl, not knowing what it was, refused to take it. She said, "I I don't want that, Dad. I want a dollar. How often do we ask our Heavenly Father, for a dollar. When He wants to give us the world. When He wants to give us what He's promised. How often do we ask the Lord for little trinkets when He wants to give us His glorious treasure, the gift of the Holy Spirit, all the things that He's promised. How often do we pray small things when we can pray to the one in Ephesians 3.20 who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. So let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you we worship you. We pray that you would teach us to pray. Help us to remember that we are your people, your treasured possession, bought at a great price, and you delight to give us good things. Help us to pray and remember that we're your people. Lord, please make our concern your praise and your glory. Convict us where we're praying for our own petty agendas, Lord, and would you in its place give us your glory and your praise that we might do great things for your glory and not our own. And Lord, help us to pray according to your promise, 
all your precious promises. Father, would you give us a hunger for your word and, and to read it and to know it and to take what you've promised and come to you and say, Father, you promised. Lord, teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing.